cabinet. <laughs> I can talk about harm reduction and uh, quote unquote methadone mile and uh, Operation Clean Sweep and, uh, you know, shit on Marty Walsh all day. But uh, we have questions from our Twitch viewers that we have to answer, and they're very long. So let's go into that. And we got to figure out a way so I can see this live in case I see any of this stuff. Yeah, but I can't I remember my password. Sorry. It's all right. All right. Herb, <laughs> Herb, what was this question? Because. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be reading this question out loud. In society today, uh, 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 this comes from uh, a viewer on Twitch named DarkSage9117. In society today, people are always talking about climate, climate and clean energy solutions. I live in Pennsylvania, where coal mines and the industry are everyday aspects of life. And someone who agrees in moving, to moving forward with clean energy and solutions, like wind power and solar power and others, but closing down oil and coal, and coal really the best way to go? All right. So the reason I wanted Herb to re-ask the question on air, the two-word answer to this is what's called just transition. That might be one word with a hyphen. <laughs> which is basically we, and by that I mean any policymaker that's actually trying to do a Green New Deal, a left answer to this, is very aware of just the amount of people who work in oil and fracking and coal. And so as part of that plan, understanding that, you then make sure that you have a just transition, whether that people ha can enter early retirement or people can be retrained to enter the workforce. And they have a much larger cushion for unemployment, like stretching it five years so that those people are okay. We factored it all in. It's not that much money. Just transition. But okay. So now... Okay, isn't that like part of the Green New Deal? Yes. It, it, yeah, it's one of the tenets <laughs> of the Green New Deal. It's just something that... All um, right. If you're going to ask questions, make them relevant to the topic, please. You, Let's move on. If you did not do the required reading, you now can't ask questions. No on more questions. Radio. I can't read them because I can't remember my password. That's all right. I'm we'll so, figure it out. I'm so frustrated I, I right bet now. You, I, I bet you I know what it is, and but... We already once, I think, already leaked that passwords on air earlier well, today. Well, apparently, so, so we I just got hacked because it doesn't work anymore. We'll figure it out. But, <sighs> okay. So, what we just discussed with Operation Clean Sweep, uh, Clean Sweep with how we um, harass, abuse, whatever we view to be um, undesirable populations, which is exactly in terms of they negatively affect property value or capital. It's great to have a communist on the air to explain all that. That is all connected to my thing, even if you don't think it is, which is basically how does it is how it is does liberal politicians who are somewhat aware of this still need to sell that they're doing something, which is why I, I will always focus part of my energy on watching what politicians say, city council members say for two different reasons. One is because even though I am aware the restraints they have because of our larger system, they can be doing more. They can absolutely use more of the power of the office to actually swing for the fence. The second part is I don't want them to get away with thinking that they are good people. <laughs> I don't want them to be able to tell people at cocktail parties all yeah. these amazing things they're doing when I know that you are not doing that. And so right. if I need to just yell that at you so you have a hesitation of doubt when you look at yourself in the mirror, I'm going to keep doing that. You don't get to take a win. So anyway. Uh, we spent a long time about the Boston City Council. I, I actually just got a great new article about uh, Methadone Mile, but continue. There you go. About the uh, Boston City Council budget um, debate where most of, again, the liberal progressive wing decided to go with the status quo, don't actually use any of their power. We've talked ad nauseum about that. And part of it 
was, well, we're going to have a series of hearings that really get into this, <laughs> and we're going to have a year of these. And Great. I, out of some level of sadism, I'm going to watch the hearings so that I can actually see what they're talking about. And there was one, this is how dorky I am, Ways and Means, number 0840. That was Wednesday? I forget when it was. I think it was Wednesday. I had a rough weekend. I don't remember what happened last yeah. week. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember not being awake that day, and I'm more grateful for it but i believe it was wednesday and uh, a lot of people spoke at it and it was a big deal it was so um our lovely beautiful producer is going to bring up the first clip but what they had on was uh to begin is what i'm going to save to the end because this woman who spoke darlene uh, i mispronounced the last name darlene uh, lambos 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 i gotta figure out what that second vowel is because i can't read my own handwriting like, you would have thought, like, she could have jumped right in with, um, like, the conversation we were just having. Just a very clear um, socialist understanding of, like, what is going on. She's in the uh, governor's council. Oh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the, the labor council. I, I was, yeah, not I was the governor's floored. council. No, yeah, <laughs> That'd not be nice. <laughs> um, I, I was absolutely floored. Actually, I think she's the chairwoman of it. So I'm going to save what she said at the end because it basically just de- deflated the balloon and it was so beautiful. And I want to close with it. But to start... Um, Kenzie Bach, who was hearing this, uh, she had on two different groups. One of them a meh about, but they did give me some good facts. The other one, um, Families for Justice and Healing, which I've talked about before. They do a lot yeah, of great amazing. work with uh, police abolition. And uh, the, the woman they had on Mallory was great. So I, I didn't record any of the first group because it's like a little bit of like a, a liberal group called Nix the Six. But they did have a lot of cool stuff about just how bad of a union contract they have, uh, the police. So there are like six things that they focus on that they say like, if you get rid of these six, everything will be fine. It's complete BS to think that just changing the the language of union contracts is going to actually get to the larger um, underlying problems. But even with this, Boston has five of the horrible things out of the six. And some of them are... If you ever do an anonymous complaint, an anonymous complaint can never be used against an officer for, for discipline, which basically means you have to publicly disclose to the police, you are, to the officer who you are charging against, they can know your name and maybe even your address. The police will say that, oh, we have systems to make sure that doesn't happen, but obviously people are not going to want to give a complaint if they know that their name and information is in the system. Yeah, because they know that where o- you live now. <laughs> yeah, because that officer can come after you. I thought that was interesting. Another is if um, I bring in a cop to be interrogated for something they did, they have to be getting paid while they go through interrogations. That would be like if any of us got brought in for criminal behavior, they would be paying us to sit there. You have, you have to legally pay police officers in Boston to sit through an interrogation where they are the ones being interrogated for criminal behavior. Is that overtime? I would love to know if that gets built <laughs> into their overtime. Um, another thing is that any time during the interrogation, a police officer can say, I need a break. And then the whole interrogation has to stop. They're allowed meal breaks. Again, just like all these other things. And to me, what is absolutely insane is police get to review their own body camera footage before they give any public statement or are interrogated. Why that is important is because basically a cop is saying, Well, I'm going to lie to you, but I just need to first see what evidence you have so I know how to tailor my lie to what you see. Cops get to view that footage before they are interrogated or asked about it, which is completely uh, banana land in terms of trying to hold someone accountable. It's basically them saying, let me see what cards you're holding so that I know how best to lie to you. 
again, we, if we changed all of those, it's not going to change the uh, $400 million plus million going to police rather than into social services. But it's important. So before we get to that first clip, they have a rule of uh, behaviors that you cannot be suspended more than five days for. Here are some of those behaviors. If you are caught drinking on the job, the most you can ever be suspended for is five days. If you are caught gambling while working on shift as a police officer, you can only be suspended for at most five days. If you are caught getting into a fist fight with other police officers while you're both on duty, maximum uh, penalty, five day suspension. If you are caught neg negligently using or discharging your handgun, <sighs> you can only be suspended for five days. Just complete crazy stuff that like, oh, and if you're caught using the N-word, most you can ever get in trouble with is five days. So it's just a lot uh, of things. Paid? Administrative leave? That I don't know. It might be unpaid for the five days. But, you know, just getting hammered. And I think there's like a two-strike thing where like as long as you don't do both of those things. I hate. really wish I could use the stuff I have about that right now um, in terms of uh, interactions with police. Oh. They uh, love to get hammered on the job. So, again, I, I thought that was great. I actually really enjoyed um, their kind of breakdown of the union contracts and some things that you could hopefully see get rid of. But uh, Families uh, for Justice and Healing, they had a lot more of substantial demands. So, uh, warming up, is that a clip one, uh, Mallory? Uh, let's listen to Mallory. She was incredible why that happens and, and challenge that together. So our members want you to, to pay attention to this clause here, which oh, says the city, um, the police commissioner. Oh, I'm sorry, just to tee off what she's going to say. There's a police officer. Why that, that happened? Oh, there was a police yeah, officer. Yeah, he was hilarious. He was awesome. I have his <laughs> clips after her. But basically, he brought up a notion of like the use of security, and police are there to make us feel safe. Oh, God. And, and this is Mallory's basically response to that. I just and, and challenge that together. So our members want you to, to pay attention to this clause here, which says the city... Um, the police commissioner and the association agree that to better assure orderly economic growth of business and industry in our community and the security of life and property, underscore property, of all of our people, it becomes necessary to establish career incentive programs to advance the entry, production, and retention within the police department of qualified and professional police officers. So we really want to challenge the idea that police produce safety, right? And our members have been telling the city council repeatedly and our organizing uh, for years has been uh, about the, the policing causes harm and only more harm. And this is a system that is incapable of and has totally failed in every way to create safety and well-being. And that if we continue to incentivize policing, the resources that we could be using to actually address the root causes of why harm is caused is going to continue to pay for police. So we don't actually think that the security of our lives and that the economic stability of our community is protected at all by incentivizing cops. And in fact, arresting and incarcerating generations of black and brown community members is destabilizing those communities um, and causing generational harm and trauma. Absolutely incredible. And oh, yeah. I mean, I, like many of you, like basically started yeah. really getting into policies like defund the police, police abolition, and wake of the George Floyd uprising. And what, what I share from you on this, and I, I think I've done an okay job citing, is like organizations like Families for Justice and Healing. Like I basically just listen to what they say and I say, okay, these are the policies they want. I will use whatever extent um, I have a platform to champion those things. Because I mean, just listening to what she just said, fully like looking at the charter is economic growth and property 
are like two out of the three substantial things of why we have police, and it's explicitly written. They're literally there. Like they'll even say, "I'm here to protect property." Yeah, like they'll it, say so, it to your face. So like we sound crazy when we talk like that to like most like normies of people, but it's like it's literally like written down. Like that yeah. is their job. Yeah, that's and, what they're here for. So like we're really just telling you what they what they have. But some of the um, calls that. Uh, Mallory um, was citing was about like limiting the use of overtime, just putting a cap on that because that we discussed before. Even uh, like when Marty Walsh took the ten million or the twelve million million away, they go over that number every year. It's irrelevant. It's a bottomless pit. Putting a cap that police officers can make, they were suggesting a percentage of their salary. They can make no more than an additional ten percent. I thought that was a great measurable. Just doing that. Just making it so any police officer in Boston can only make an additional 10% in overtime gives us an extra $50 million that we can put towards food, yeah. <laughs> transportation, like, like housing, a, 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 anything. Just doing that one little change. Capping yeah. total OT, um, replacing officer details with civilian details. This is something that... Oh, good that, luck with that. Yeah, because th- that's their breadbasket. That's yeah. where they make all their money. Yeah. It, when they sit in their car and they watch like a pothole and there's three cones laid on the side, there's no reason you need a gun to do that. No, you don't need to be a cop. To and do so, that. trying to create a civilian version of that, creating jobs in our neighborhoods, it's like again a lot of no-brainer stuff that I think most like um, most people just acting in good faith, but like yeah, that makes sense. Having a mandate that you must wear your uniform and have your badge number displayed, like this is all stuff that we should already have. We actually should. You're requiring badge numbers to be played. I think they just don't. Well, um, what they're pushing back about is like the planes close police officers and something that. You know, like yeah, you, I almost got real mad at somebody that was a plane closed officer because I thought she was a protester at the uh, Arlington Back the Blue rally. She grabbed a megaphone. She caught it like a pass. And I was like, that bitch has my megaphone. Karen with the <laughs> green hat stole my megaphone from some other douchebag. And like she came around the corner. It's like apparently her name's Detective Gina and she's an undercover. And it was like going to be evidence. Oh. Nobody got charged. I was like, oh, OK, well, good catch. Yeah. Or like you see it all the time in terms of. But uh, she wasn't. I wouldn't know. Yeah. And, or in terms of like police shootings where somebody yeah. just rolls up. And, uh, like we saw. Oh, well, yeah, in Portland and shit. Forget about it. And then yeah. also, like, even at the protests in Boston, they were doing that whole black line through their badge. Oh, but I, they, they said that was out of respect. That's why they cut Oh, bullshit. Bullshit. I don't, like, that made me... We were, like, un, we were there yelling, when, uncover your badge, like, the whole time. Like, that, that didn't make me smirk when I heard somebody next to me ask the police officer, and he's like, it's out of respect. And I'm just like, yeah, that bullshit. is such a funny line. Yeah. Like, I almost kind of respected just the sincere F you to it. But um, oh as yeah, I said, all right, all right, well played. Sir. There was a uh, former police officer there, uh, Dennis Gallagher. Oh, he's great. And Dennis has so Dennis has a very very deep understanding of history. I, I was a little, <laughs> I, I was intimidated by how much he just knows the history of this country and law enforcement. So, Herb, we got clip number one, clip number two, fam. Um, our Constitution basically uh, says that government's first and foremost duty is the safety, security, and liberty of the people. And perhaps the most visible indication of government competence is to maintain peace and stability, allow people to go about their, their duty uh, and their business to be able to enjoy their freedom and their liberty. Now, this crucial responsibility has, has been largely delegated to local communities. So elected representatives like yourself have been tasked with fashioning the most optimal system for providing that fundamental service. That's the context for all this. So pursuant to this charge, historically and uh, continually, 
uh, today, most communities have established police agencies to basically direct the needs of public order, suppression of violence, and protection of liberty. It's the police who've been delegated to carry out the fundamental duty of, uh, of local government, which is public protection. Now, as All right. <laughs> so I, I, I was going to interrupt him a little bit, but w what he just explained is what I would be okay, or not, not really, but basically do a kindergarten to first grade, which is just to say, so we had a lot of people came together and they wanted to create the best system for life and liberty and security. And so they wrote our constitution and then they created the police because the police in our communities are there to make sure we're safe. Is that So that's, that is how you would explain it to, again, kindergarten to first grade. And I, I wouldn't allow it, but I'm saying like that level <laughs> of history. When in reality, that was not like a, again, third to fourth grade understanding of U.S. history is that women, indigenous people, people of color and poor people were not get, had the same rights as rich people who drafted the Constitution. That it was instead a document that was designed to solidify uh, the power of a small elite class. And that all those people were just completely left out or subjugated. But then, which again, third to fourth grade, I think that's more than uh, easy for them to grasp. But his concept of how the police came about is completely wrong. The police, yeah, did not, not the police did not form in this country until decades after the Constitution was established because there was so much hesitance, resilience, um, people who are very critical of why are we having now a mass army? We just kicked out the British decades later, and they only came about because of two different but actually so, uh, intertwined elements. One was the slave catchers of the 18th and 19th century who just bands of white people who would just, um, again, collect bounties on people of color trying to escape. And the second, uh, in the 1820s and 30s, the policies that we imported from Britain, which was how do you subjugate your working class who was starting to rise up? They were there to just literally beat workers who were trying to go on strike in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s. And that is the creation of our, our modern police state. Factual 100%. It, is yeah. not, it was not created in... 1776, because that is how we secure, um, we decided to enforce security. That's what we think. That's what we're told. But like, just hearing that, and then in my thought, in my, my head, it was like, somebody please correct him. Someone please tell this guy it's that. It's not a history lesson. They're not going to do that. That, that you can't. <laughs> Arroyo does a little bit after. Yeah, a little. Oh, he's getting so many points with me. Yeah, but, he does good. He does so good. I, I just. Like I could, like if I was on that city council, I, I would just be like, "I'm sorry, sir. Like I just um, can't allow you just to make up history. Like that is not when police were formed in this country. So, you're, you're off by about fifty to sixty years." Are you announcing your candidacy for Boston City Council? <laughs> so I could just be a, so I could just be a history teacher. <laughs> I mean, if that's what it takes. Oh no! Like I, I picture me just I would be streaming video games while there as a counselor because I'm like, this is not worth my intellectual time, and th th I will still explain to you why this person's wrong. So, right. so yeah, uh, write me in if you want a continuation on my Twitch channel, but just <laughs> with like the Boston City uh, government logo. But uh, the, the cop continues. Uh, Herb, do we have the next clip for uh, our friendly uh, resident historian here? I want to make uh, to uh, Councilor Arroyo's uh, statement. First of all, uh, it was my understanding and always been my understanding that the Constitution applies to everybody, race, color, creed. Now, some people may disagree with that. You may make a, a construct that that's not the case. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as most of the people that I've associated with my life in this business, 
the Constitution applied to everybody, and that duty replied to everybody, applies to everybody, regardless of race, color, and creed. I just want to put that on the record. Second of all, uh, the right idea now. of... Okay, Roy's going to come in and bash him on what he's going to say next, but again, I... I want to make... Just, just think of what he just said. Okay, well, everyone that I've ever met tells me that the Constitution applies to everyone. How you could possibly be an adult in, in this country and not know that the laws favor some people and go against other people, or that the concept of equality, while theoretically, as we tell school children, applies to everyone, in practice does not. The 14th Amendment, which was, uh, again, created after the Civil War, extend uh, protections to people of color. In the first 50 years of that passing, only 1% of court cases used that amendment to actually help people of color to defend their rights. 50% were to extend the rights of corporations. You cannot be above the age of 15 and not actually know that the Constitution, the laws that we have in our society, are applied disproportionately unequally. You just can't. So it's either this guy just woke up out of a coma and all he's left with the eight-year-old memories of how this country is founded, or he's lying, or he doesn't want to believe it, which is, I think, what he was getting to when he says, all the people I meet in my circles, this is what we all think, because that is comforting to you. You don't want to know that we live in a world that works otherwise. You interact with the people just like you and your neighbors, and you all go insane. You think I'm coming to burn you down as my Antifa super soldiers. <laughs> but all right, he, he, he ends with another boneheaded thing, but I'll let Arroyo take that after. To everybody, and that duty replied to everybody applies to everybody, regardless of race, color, and creed. I just want to put that on the record. Second of all, the idea of shifting police resources or moving police resources from different parts of the the, the, the uh, city is some sort of a uh, discriminatory act on the part of uh, government. Just think about this for a minute. If we moved all the police resources into Dover and Sherburne, right? <laughs> given the situation in Boston and other places. I think that your own constituents would be very, very upset at the fact that that policy was taking place. And I'll remind you that this last weekend, there were nine shootings in the city. So where is the police resources supposed to go? Is it not supposed to go to where the, the demand is, or are we supposed to basically put it someplace where they can sit and do nothing? So those are the two questions I have. And uh, I'm happy to answer them. So yeah. if I <laughs> Nice. All right, let's nice. go with the Roy. I'm not going to know. This guy's been on yeah. fire. Yeah. yeah, I can explain. One, I, I, I think when we talk about where resources go in the context of shootings that have already occurred, it would seem to me that that's an indictment of the way that we spend our resources in the first place. If there's still a spike in crime, if there is crime still happening in those communities and it's constant and it's continuing, regardless of how much policing and police resources you are throwing at that problem, then that to me tells me that that is not the solution or part of that solution in whole. And I think that's something to discuss and talk about. But when we talk about, for instance, the information request I made of Brick, where they provided where all of the cameras that BPD has access to, they have 169 in Roxbury, 169 cameras in Roxbury. They have zero in High Park, where I represent. They have zero in Rosendale, where I represent. They have zero in West Roxbury, which neighbors me. Zero to 169 in a community that makes up 8% of Boston's population is 89% people of color. It hasn't lowered the crime rate. It hasn't solved more crimes. It hasn't stopped murders or shootings. And so when we talk about that, we talk about in the context that, yes, we can flood these neighborhoods with resources like this, policing and, and cameras and the surveillance and all the things that we do. But when we're then saying, look at all the crime that's happening, look at all the crime that is still happening, what you are telling me is that this is not the solution. This is not what's making it happen. 
All right, perfect answer to that. Which <laughs> yeah, is, absolutely. Which is the cop saying, where are we supposed to put these resources if that's where the violence is? Uh, and then Arroyo saying, no, 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 like you are proving my argument right. that we are dumping resources into these areas. And by that, I mean police resources into these areas, and it's not doing anything. That is our argument. Right. <laughs> why are we spending so much on police? We're violently agreeing with each other. <laughs> How are we spe- why are we spending so much money on the police in these areas when you're telling us that it's not doing anything, that it, it's still crime. So right. then maybe we need to, quote unquote, fight crime in another way. That's our argument. Of course, what they will say, they accounted to this, and this guy isn't sh- uh, sharp enough to do it, is, oh, well, you just haven't given us enough. If you double that police oh, yeah, budget. Oh, yeah, pay us more. And, 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 and that'll always be the right-wing ar- uh, counter-argument to most of like what we articulate on this show, which is, no, 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 you didn't cut the taxes of corporations enough. That's why it didn't work. Right. You, you aren't doing free market economies enough, even though, again, everything that we have material evidence is, again, when we do these policies, when we give more money to the police, it doesn't actually have the effect that they say that it will. So, um, again, I've always been doing, again, somebody who understands the power of the office. You vote no on the budget to try to get more of what you want. And if they're not going to let you do that, you just hit people verbally. Shout out to Arroyo for so, that. I mean, like, d- d- getting it, like, like not, yeah. not allowing someone to use the platform of the Boston City Council to just completely whitewash history. And, and he, uh, Arroyo did challenge and, like, brought up some of the things that I said, but I obviously like to talk to. Um, but all right, last comment on it is the last clip uh, that I teased a little bit at, th- at the beginning, and I'm going to uh, make sure I have her official title. Darlene Lombos, who is the executive secretary of the Greater Boston Labor Council. She is the first voice that we hear after Kenzie does like a little bit of an intro. And here is how she opens this forum. And I want you to think, remember all of our criticisms of this when we talked about how a year of these hearings is going to do nothing. This wastes time. I think Matt Miller said it waters down the movement. Listen, listen uh, to Darlene's response. I spent the last few weeks agonizing about this hearing. For more than five months, streets all over the country have been filled with our grief rage, hope, and determination to end racist police violence and to reckon with the broader problems of systemic racism. I've been agonizing because we often get caught trying to make systemic changes within the same frameworks and narratives that have already been set up to divide us. And I worry this hearing on the police and collective bargaining agreement does this. It might divert the momentum of this unprecedented national and local movement reforms without systems change. But let me just try to explain it. My first successful campaign as a new young organizer was winning the creation of a civilian review board for the Providence Police Department. That was back in 1996, almost 25 years ago now. And yet here we still are. The many civilian review boards across the country that were won through smart, dedicated community organizing campaigns haven't prevented any of the deaths of black and brown people at the hands of the police since then. That's because the system of policing is set up this way. It was very strategic for landowners to arm poor and unskilled white men as slave patrols so that their job would be to protect property for the rich instead of to align and rise up with black people for a more just system for everyone. The system is set up to pit us against each other and for us to fight on racial lines instead of class lines. This hearing is also a setup, of course, not intentionally, but it starts from the narrative that police unions and collective bargaining agreements are the problem without acknowledging who benefits most from that framework. Opportunistic right-wing institutions have already used this call for racial justice and police reform as yet another opening to continue their vicious attack on unions, particularly in the public sector, 
a public sector that disproportionately employs people of color and women. Charles Chepo of the Neoliberal Pioneer Institute recently published an article applauding scrutiny of police union collective bargaining agreements and calling for opening up teachers and MBTA union contracts to reform as well. That's because the Pioneer Institute and the corporate elites who make up their board want more than anything to make profits off of our public education and public transit systems. For the record, I believe police officers are workers and deserve the right to form a union. Every worker deserves... Okay, so what she just brought up was, again, she starts by saying that this whole thing exists to water down the the movement that we just did. That this hearing and trying to focus on just Nikki, like little things of the union contract. It's useless. It's nothing. It it, it only exists. What she just brought up was because maybe what this forum now lets us do is start to critique public teacher union contracts. Maybe now it lets us open up the contracts of other workers. And so she is pointing to that this hearing, at its best, is only going to hurt other unions and that you can't focus. And that her first activism was in 1991, I think she said, where she helped create a civilian review review board 20, 30 years later. It didn't do anything. Right. That's how she started. So what was the result of this hearing? Nothing. Exactly. (laughs) It was nothing except for... Blah, 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 blah. Except for an attempt to let people be heard. Okay. Because everyone loves to be heard. We all love to be heard. And then, hypothetically, for their most optimistic comment would be to communicate to Marty what they want to see in the next um, police union contract. Oh, and he's going to definitely do what they want. So <laughs> I, I am very curious what little concessions they will make in terms of that next, Nick the Six thing that I talked about earlier, like all the ridiculous like five-day suspensions they get to get for basically being hammered, just discharging their firearm, walking down the street, and it'll be fine. So I don't know what will come from the police union contracts. I am going to talk about it. I'm going to explain it to see how little we got for months of mass movement street action in terms of, again, what I will continue to point to was the elected representatives completely throwing a cold bucket of water on that and us getting nothing. Charlie Baker it wants to extend how long you can hold people without bail. We Bullshit. are going in the complete opposite direction of this movement. You saw the attacks on the mass bail fund from, yep. again, that, from, that, from that one case. And now they're using that to actually extend the role of police. We just talked about Operation Clean Sweep. They are expanding the parameters of police officers and fighting against what they will call homelessness. We are yep. moving in the opposite direction. And there are no I have other... been at a Blue Lives Matter. I've been counter-protesting Blue Lives Matter protests like at least twice a week for the past exactly. month. Um, and they are popping up every day. Yeah. And I'm actually sick of, to, I mean, no offense, I, Evan, I'm sick of, like, listening to people in power's bullshit when nobody gets anything done. And the few people that we can count on cave out, <coughs> Liz. <coughs> you know what yeah, I'm we, we didn't even get to that. I know. And, like, honestly, I've got so much more passionate, important stuff to say about that than I do about, like, this is a great hearing. I'm glad it happened. Democracy in action. We're yep. going to get results, right, people? I just like to make fun of the, uh, the cops. I mean, make fun of them to their face with me. I don't know if you can. It'll be fun. Yeah, if you can, <laughs> if you want to arrange a historic battle where they can w- debate the concept of history and what happened. I'm sure I could point one out to you that'll be happy to talk. I'll do it. I'm really good at uh, getting sizing those people up. But, um, all right, that's what I got. Happy birthday again, Sandy. Happy birthday, Sandy. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm very frustrated with society right now. Um, uh, I do want to bring up a shout out to Lee Nave Jr. Uh, who was the uh, 
spark that made this show happen. And uh, I miss you, bud. Actually, would love to get drinks soon. And uh, everyone's disappointing. Everything's disappointing right now. Remember how you felt after that vote, that budget vote, and after the elections recently? I recovered from the elections pretty quickly. The, the, the budget hearing will continue. That, yeah, that no, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of in that place right now, man. Uh, in terms of like, I don't, I don't really see a lot of hope right now. Give me some hope, Evan. Good happening. Um, this Thursday is a good uh, Boston DSA event. Oh um, God, really? Yeah. Oh, that, of course, that's where he goes with this. Oh, we're doing plugs. All I right. want to. Um, I will be at a COVID safe. Which, I don't know if that's the right but COVID safe wedding this Thursday night, Friday night. So I will not get to make oh. it to this. Um, but it's at, it's at seven o'clock. Go to the Boston DSA website. It is about really uh, the future of rent control um, as we see it. Oh, yes. After the, uh, I don't know, got maybe 10% of the state house support. Uh, I think it was Amendment 66 for rent control um, in the state. So kind of like looking at it as a strategy session, what is the future history of rent control when you have uh, an entire political class that is hell-bent on making sure that no one can afford to live in Boston? So Who can Boston DSA Boston? Facebook page, 7 p.m. this Thursday. I will not be there, so somebody go and take notes. Okay. So well, I can cheat off you. What do you yeah. have to plug? Um, Blue Lives Matter rallies every day. Come out, counter-protest. Grab your megaphone. Did you get your microphone back? Uh, I got my megaphone back. I did, actually. Very, very easy. Uh, shout out to the great people at the Arlington Police Department. However, it is broken, and I will be doing a live stream oh. fixing and soldering session of that in the future. Um, and, you know, uh, it is a growing amount of people at these things. I was surprised at the turnout in Arlington. I mean, I'm glad that people are having hearings on budgets and things and electoral processes that supposedly work in this sort of democracy i am so i think I, I don't know evan give me some therapy i'm such a nihilist right now i'm so done well i'm so done as, with this bullshit um, it's all bullshit our communist friend angela pointed out yeah is that and uh, i i like that uh angela didn't take a swing at the uh at the, you know, michelle Wu question because and like even when you um you asked angela to like bash marty a little bit uh, Angela had a very good read on basically, like, the pol the political class, our institutions of democracy, cannot fix any of these problems. No. Not, unless they're actually willing to, oh, I'll leave it at that. They're, they're not actually able to. I think. Wait, I, wait, you finished that sentence, Evan. Well, because well, what I was going to say is actually incorrect. Like, unless they're willing to, no, I'll go with it. Unless they are willing to really heighten the contrast so, because that is the only way that people can see, this is why we don't have nice things. Yes, we and, don't have and, nice things. And to bring it a little bit back to to Bernie land, Bernie getting elected, we would not have Medicare for all. No. But what it would allow people to see is, wait, didn't we just get this guy who's the most powerful person now theoretically in the world elected into the most again theoretically most powerful position? So why don't we have the things that we want? Uh, didn't that happen with Obama though? Obama didn't actually – Obama got elected and then said, oh, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie would, again, heighten the contrast. More people would be able to see. How much contrast levels do we have to turn up before something actually gets done and changes, though? In a positive way? Because all I do is do that every day, and I'm bored, and it's not working. 
And that's how people feel out there on the streets right now. So DSA master, electoral. Uh, I was going to say, let's, let's not give me that title. All right. So, like, what, what, I mean, what is to be done if you're not out here willing to, like, you know, um, go out? Like, what do, what do you do? Work for Michelle Wu's campaign? As part. That, so th- th- there is no one thing that I can or you can tell an individual to do except for you should be doing a lot of different things which continue to strengthen your connection to the people around you. Right. So whether that is working in mutual aid, whether that is trying to organize your workplace, whether that is maybe trying... If you still have one. If you still have one. Is to do all these, um, these actions to continue to build the bonds between us so that when you have moments like the Joy Floyd uprising, like whatever happens the first week in November, whatever way the, the election goes, and you now get a swell of people onto the streets, you have enough connections and you have that sinew that exists to hopefully maybe shape it into a new institution, a new container to then actually implement power because you just have the numbers. But until you have that, then it, it is really just about like maintaining your connection, deal with reality the best way you can, try to find some happiness. and Even get- if that's yelling in a Nazi's face. Yeah. And because that, that's basically it, <laughs> trying to maintain a counter narrative, a counter explanation so that as things continue to go poorly, as things are continuing. Because to have go you forward, had any positive news lately besides the fact that the uh, rank or the uh, moratorium on evictions like got shot down in the Supreme Judicial Court? There's like a few a few silver linings on the news lately, but I haven't seen too much to be excited about. Uh, no, we're in a little bit of a holding pattern between now and maybe the evictions moratorium in Massachusetts will, will get extended. I yes, just, I, just I, 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 I believe people it. are going to just wanted to keep past that buck until we yeah. do hit a cliff of yeah. you either got to forgive the rent or you're going to have a wave of evictions and my money's on the ladder. But um, no, it's a little bit of a, a weird cultural holding pattern. I mean, look at Oregon. You see the pictures come out of that? It's like, yeah. it is insane. Like, and so we'll... We'll see. We'll see what happens. But until then, you can continue to tune in here and rent his radio. <laughs>